deserve some thanks. You may be seated in his presence. We're going to keep singing, and, uh, but I wanted to uh, come and, as senior pastor, address all of us in this week that has been so, so difficult. Listen, that last song we did, it is National Hispanic Heritage Month, and uh, let's hear it for our Latino and Latinas. And, um, and each week we've been, we've been featuring something uh, that uh, deals with that culture. And one of the last things, just several weeks ago, I talked to Paula and I said, you know, we'd love to do a song in Spanish uh, on the third week of National Hispanic Heritage Month, and uh, this is the song she chose to do. And uh, listen, she would be delighted to sing that song in Spanish in, in the ways that she's delighted to bring the word. I know, church, of no one more heaven-minded than Paula Huggins. And if you're tempted to think, uh, <laughs> if you're tempted to think that the notion of placing one's hope in heaven makes a person less useful for this life, well, Paula is the argument against that. Because the person that knows her destiny is glorious and certain will be free to live the most radical life of love and sacrifice on this side of heaven of anyone else. It's kind of like, and she loved this illustration, if somebody falls out of an airplane with no parachute on and you don't have one either, you're not going to jump out after them because you couldn't help. But if you have a parachute, you might just try to jump out after them and grab them and hold on to them and save them with your own parachute in the hope of safety in the end. It's our safety in the end in heaven that releases that radical love for others. And Paula Huggins was our model for that, heaven-minded. This morning, church, there's a powerful sweetness in the pain that we bear. The measure of Paula's worth is written on your faces and has been since all the gathering we've done this week. And that sweetness, make, you are all the more beautiful for it as I look at each one of you. The grace that God has given you to stand fast and be steadfast and to love on one another in this season, I can't tell you what it's meant to the staff, to the elders, uh, to all of us in this congregation to have the outpouring of love and care that has come this week because you know the depth of our loss and all of us feel it together. And I thank you for the love that you've expressed. Now, of course, our, our, our sorrow, our mourning is, is natural. But the rejoicing that we just begin to taste now because of our hope in heaven, the rejoicing that we'll have full sway one day, that rejoicing is supernatural. Because, Grace City, as we gather here this morning, there are spectacular biblical truths that describe Paula right now. And we could linger all day and rejoice over the colossal realities of heaven. Because you should know that she has no more pain or discomfort. That's a heaven reality. You should know that she is more alive right now than we are. Somebody say amen to that. And best of all, she lives now face to face with the Jesus of whom she spoke so affectionately to her friends and family and neighbors whom she spoke directly to in her prayers and on whose words she meditated day and night. This is the Paula we know. Grace City, grieving and rejoicing at the same time comprise a distinctly human paradox. We believe Paula is with Jesus and we say hallelujah and yet we still grieve and this enigma is both just right 
and too difficult to bear at the same time, isn't it, Kelly? On this side of heaven, those two truths compete for our attention. Let them compete. They're both true. It is right to grieve, Grace City, because there are foundational people in our lives. There are, there are foundational people in our church. People who have formed the brick and mortar of who we are, how we live. People who are so deeply embedded that we can even take their presence for granted, right? Until one day, way too soon, they're not here. And it feels like we might collapse. But we don't. Way back in the spring, back in March sometime, we designed our current sermon series, didn't we, Kristen? Together and... And we designed this ser sermon series that we're in to run systematically through 1 Thessalonians with the title, The Gospel at Work, for the, for the series. We planned six months ago for Kristen Hannigan to preach 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 today, and she is about to do that. And it is a passage that is uniquely qualified to minister to us this week, today. So the Apostle Paul, Kristen, says that we ought to be comforted with these words about human death and heaven's hope. So I am going to read them for your comfort. But don't miss, as I read this scripture, don't miss worship team. By the way, will you love on this worship team right now? Just love on this worship team because they've experienced the loss in so many ways deeper than we have. And they are standing here because of what Paula has poured into them and their love for the Lord. As I read this scripture, church, don't miss the divine supposition that the Apostle Paul gives us, that even as we suffer, even as we grieve because of Christ and Him crucified, and we're about to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today, because of that, we have surpassing reason, even divine reason, to rejoice in the midst of our grief. And Kristen will be bringing this word for us in just a few minutes, but let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, church, encourage one another with these words. So Grace City, let's take our lead from Paula this morning, who from the midst of a deadly diagnosis knew joy. Every time I talked to her, saw her in the hospital, texted with her, she knew joy. Why? Because she knew to whom she belonged. And each time I saw her, she would say with more and more and more convincing energy, she would say this phrase to me, it shall be well, Pastor Bob. What a comfort that was. Church, it shall be well. Let's stand and sing that very truth in her wake as we prepare for the message.
it is well with my soul, a phrase that I will forever now think of Paula when I hear this song and when I hear this phrase. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come together and worship you, we stand in both hope and in grief. I pray that you would be in our midst and that our songs and our, your words and our offering and our communion and each element of worship would be pleasing to you and that we would feel your presence, feel your love, feel your comfort, and feel our strength so that we can go forth and can say, just as sure as Paula did, it shall be well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. It shall be well. When we're faced with something like we've been faced with the loss of our dear friend, our worship leader, Paula, we can wonder, what does it shall be well look like for us as a church? And then I look at every aspect of this service that God foreknew and prepared for us as a church for this day. And I see so clearly the evidence that Paula already had faith in that it shall be well. It could only be God's timing that we as a church would already be prepared to be in this passage on this day. As Bob mentioned, these assignments have been set for months. I was assigned to work on the sermon for months. And as I was preparing for the sermon, there were a couple of things that I didn't quite understand and yet have become so crystal clear in the events of this week. I was actually assigned both uh, the five verses that Bob read from chapter four and also the first 11 verses in chapter five. And for whatever reason, every time I sat down to study those verses, I seemed to have a block whenever it came to those verses in chapter five. I would see the words, but it never penetrated my mind. It never penetrated my soul. I was fixated on these five verses. And now it all makes sense. What I can also say is only God, as I was reading these five verses and starting to think about this sermon prior to knowing about Paula's passing, the overwhelming theme and point that I felt as I was reading this passage was the concept of heaven. And while heaven is so clearly pictured in these verses, there are many other places that we could go and we could dive into and look at from these verses. And I wondered why I was so fixated on these verses and heaven. And then on Wednesday, it all made sense. God was preparing this message for this church, for this day. The title of the sermon was to be The Hope That Works. And as Bob said, we've been in this series of The Gospel That Works, and we've heard titles of The Life That Works, The Love That Works, The Message That Works, Ministry That Works. And so it's gonna be, it was, today was supposed to be The Hope That Works. And I'm gonna adjust it a little bit. And I wanna say, the title today is The Hope Of Heaven is the hope that works. 
Hope is a topic I've preached on before, and honestly, in the season that I was in, even before this week, I found it a bit ironic that I was preparing a lesson on hope. I'd been in a bit of a season where hope wasn't my default position. Discouragement seemed to find me a little bit easier than encouragement, and I'm sure that's a season that many of you can relate to at times. Finding hope was kind of like trying to find the chapstick in the bottom of my purse. I know it's there, but it was a little bit harder to grab onto. I was in desperate need, though, of hope. And I realized even before I knew about what was going to happen this week, that this was going to be a sermon that I was going to need to be preaching to myself, just as I was preaching it to each of you. And then Wednesday came, and when I got the news of Paula's passing from Bob, I lost my breath. And as I sat there, sobbing over the loss of a friend, a sister in Christ, our worship leader, all of a sudden, I had a clearer grasp of hope than I have had in weeks. And I thought, once again, Paula, you have led me back to God. Once again, in a way that you uniquely were gifted to do, you have brought me back to him and placed my anchor in the hope with him. Bob mentioned um, that there's this paradox that we're in, that sometimes when we are in life's hardest storms, hope is clearer than we ever could imagine. And then when we're in a storm like we are right now as a church community, losing one of our members of our family, my prayer is that that hope, the hope in heaven, is so much clearer and stronger I'm going to come to this first verse from this passage that Bob read. And remember that we do not grieve as the world does that does not have hope, but we have a hope in heaven, a hope that works. Verse 13 says that we do not grieve as the rest of mankind who have no hope. But what does that mean? What does it mean not to grieve as the world does? Because I know in this auditorium and in homes watching us, there is tremendous sadness loss, anger that each of you are experiencing. That we do not grieve as the world grieves does not mean that we are not heartbroken and bereft and angry at the loss of our friend, our sister, our worship leader. All of these emotions that you are experiencing is exactly what we are to be experiencing when faced with a loss that we have been faced with. It does not mean that we do not feel at times overwhelmed by this loss. But what it does mean that we do not grieve as the world grieves is that we experience hope. And I've said in previous times that often we throw around the word of hope in our everyday language that lessens what it actually means. We can say, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope the ravens win. And in places like that, it becomes like a mini it minimizes what the word hope means. There's no certainty or firm expectation of any of those things. But when we are talking about the hope of heaven, when we are talking about God's hope, that is a firm and certain expectation. We grieve because we have suffered a loss. We mourn because we miss someone who is so dear to us. And we have 
that hope, that firm and certain expectation. We have the hope and knowing that we will be reunited with Paula one day in heaven. And we have the hope, the certainty, and expectation that Paula is in no more pain and she is home with her Lord and Savior. I know as we talk about grief and hope that it is not just limited to the loss that we are experiencing as a church of Paula. I know many of you have experienced significant losses, some of you very recently. And this question of why do we have hope comes up. And that's the question the world sometimes asks. How can you have hope in the midst of this? What is our hope in? And this question is one that the Thessalonians were asking in this passage. This is the question that Paul was addressing. He was asked, they were, that church was asking, what will happen to those who have died? Their concern was not for themselves, but for their loved ones who had gone before them. At this point, they thought Jesus' return was going to be soon, and they were preparing for that. And they wanted to know, what about those who have already died? And Paul's like, they will precede you. It says in verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Paul was reassuring the Thessalonians, and he is reassuring us today that those who passed are joining and are in communion, in perfect communion, up there with our Heavenly Father. We can have hope, that certainty, that expectation that Paula and each of our loved ones that maybe have gone on before us are in a much better place than where we are. To know that there is more than what we see beyond our current circumstances, to know that there is a future beyond what the world says there is, is hope. To know that there is something more than what our finite minds and eyes and five senses can wrap our minds around is hope. To know that there is no place, no death that could ever separate us, that to know that that is certain is hope. To know that we will one day be at home and with our Lord and Savior, our loved ones, with Paula again is hope. And as I say that we have this hope, I know that it's sometimes something easy to say, but hard to maybe grasp. And even though as I stand here and assure you and assure myself that we have this certainty, this confident expectation of the hope in heaven, I know it's hard. And so we need reminders of it. One of my reminders, a few years ago, I lost my father. And many of you know I have a cat. And her name is Tikva, which is the Hebrew word for hope. And she was literally handed to me in the parking lot of the hospital where my father was up in ICU. It was a hard season, to say the least. And yet, I also had this tiny, adorable, five-week-old kitten where I saw life, where it was provided laughter, and I remembered what was beyond the pain that I was experiencing. She was this tangible reminder for me in that season. And what I call for each of us to do is that each one of us, 
will need reminders, especially in the days and weeks ahead. Verse 18 ends, therefore encourage one another with these words. And so I call on each one of us to encourage one another, to put your arms around the people who are next to you. Because one day, you may have the hope that the person next to you needs. And the next day, they may have the hope that you need. So wrap your arms around one another. And remember that we are called to love one another, to be in community, and to follow the example and encouragement that Paula so beautifully gave us each and every week. And remember, you are not alone. And I say that as you are maybe, I say that not only as a comfort to you, but also as a call to you that you are not alone and you are called to encourage one another. When I talk about this hope of heaven, it's hard for us to maybe wrap our heads around what heaven even is. And I love this verse from Ecclesiastes 3. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity is set on each of our hearts. And while we may not have words to describe what heaven is and what our hope is, we know it in our hearts. We all have moments that we look around and we can say, that is not as God intended. And we also look around and say, that is a beautiful picture and just a glimpse of what heaven will be. Listen to those moments and hold firm and put your hope in those. I have moments when I long for heaven. I long for days with no more sickness, no more cancer, no more death, no more sadness, no more violence, no more racism, no more brokenness. When we suffer a loss like we have suffered this week, we grieve because we are separated from someone that we love. And we hope because we know we will be reunited with them again. This hope of heaven is one that we may be grabbed to in these times, in times of loss of a loved one. But this hope of heaven does not only give us hope in these seasons. It gives us, can give us hope no matter what it is that we encounter and can give us hope every single day. Oliver Wendell Holmes criticized Christians saying, some people are so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good. In this phrase, he criticized Christians that were not able to maybe actually recognize or help with the problems that they were actually seeing in this world around us, and instead were just th- focused on, what, on the future and what was to come. Johnny Cash has a song that says, no earthly good. But within that lyric, he calls them and says, if you are holding heaven, then spread it around. And during Thursday prayer time that when we gathered, Lil Gurney shared this phrase that is going to stick with me, that Paula was our seamless connection to heaven. And I couldn't come up with a more accurate description of Paula and what it is that summarizes what it is that we have lost. Paula did just as what Johnny Cash sang. She spread heaven around. When we were in her presence, we got a glimpse of what heaven will be. And I'm not just talking, I think we can reduce and think of Paula's 
absolutely amazing musical giftedness. But the reason she was an amazing worship leader was not because of her musical abilities. It was because of her faith. It was because she exemplified what worship, what true worship is with God. Her connection to him, to his under, her understanding and exemplification of her, his love and his power was evident, and she connected us to him every Sunday when she sang, in the conversations with us afterwards, in staff meetings, when she served at Sharp Kids, when she showed up at every single church event with the loudest yell and the biggest smile and the greatest encouragement. Paula, our seamless connection to heaven, was so heavenly-minded that she did so much earthly good. As the worship team comes up, I want to close with the following adjustment with what um, Oliver Wendell Holmes says. I want us to be a church that is so heavenly minded that we do the most earthly good. When we tap into the hope of heaven, just as Paula exemplified and connected us to, when we tap into the eternity that is written to our hearts, as the writer in Ecclesiastes says, we become so heavenly minded that we will do the most earthly good. We talk here at Grace City a lot about wanting to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we can only help to see God's kingdom come here on earth in heaven if we are heavenly minded. This hope of heaven is one that can carry us no matter what storm it is that we face. It is that expectation that all will be made right. And as Paula always said, it shall be well. It is a recognition that if Jesus conquered the grave, there is no battle or storm that we will face that he has not already overcome. It shall be well. So we're gonna stand now and we're gonna worship together. And I want us to listen to these lyrics as we come to them. Spirit of God, fall fresh upon us. We need your presence. We need your kingdom come, your will be done here as in heaven. We need his presence in a new and fresh way. And as we all are experiencing the grief and loss that we feel right now, as we miss and mourn our dear sister in Christ, Paula, knowing that we are not yet reunited, but we can experience God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And that longing and that look and that hope in heaven will be the hope that works. Let's worship. <laughs>